When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up, Ken folk? Welcome to the number one college football show. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcasts. Today on the show, we are going to go through the top five true freshman quarterbacks as I see it, and really not necessarily rank them, but talk about which one has the best opportunity to make his first start in 2023. Some you know, maybe some you don't, maybe you're just catching up because spring football is here. And that is how we are going to start today's show. We're going to start with some Big Ten storylines. We may work through the entire Power Five, but we tend to like the Big Ten here on Fox. And it is also worth pointing out that Michigan started its spring practice on Monday this week, which means that, you know, they're off and running. Last team that I saw open up spring practice this early was actually Herman Edwards, Arizona State. Not saying that there's anything that you can glean from that, just that you can see some teams won't start until March 22nd, like Oklahoma. This is really an interesting spot, and it's great time to take a look at rosters as they are constructed now, coaching philosophies, and questions that we would like to get answered immediately, but probably will not have answers to until January. And that's where we need to start here with the University of Michigan. So the question before us is, can Michigan's defense deliver on a big stage, right? Now, I want to land this because Michigan fans, I know you and I have had it out. I'm on your team, okay? I have learned my lesson. I'm not picking against you. You are ranked. You will remain ranked because, uh, hey, man, those dudes basically took the dirty diaper and shoved it in my face, and I, I got to take that. So I say that to say it ain't necessarily can your defense beat Ohio State. You did that twice. It's not, can your defense win the Big Ten Championship? You did that twice. It's, can you be a playoff team in a semifinal or in what I like to call the Oklahoma ceiling, all right? What you are learning about the college football playoff, especially when we talk about the teams that are playing for championships, is that it is very clear who is very, very, very good and who is just very good. And I think some of this has to do with the opponent that Michigan faced and frankly, how prepared they were to face them. But you can't overlook this. Georgia really did beat them in the Orange Bowl in 2021. And Texas Christian probably shouldn't have, but did beat them in the Fiesta Bowl in 2022. Now, unlike last year, you do return your defensive coordinator in Jesse Minter. And he did a fantastic job. As a matter of fact, I think if Texas Christian doesn't have the season that they have, Jesse Minter becomes a Broyles Award winner in the second that they would have had at the University of Michigan. But once again, kind of like uh, 2021, you're replacing two dominant edge rushers 
on a dominant defense. Now, last year didn't matter, right? Because you had Mike Morris and Yabi Oki coming out of basically nowhere to lead you on that front line. We knew kind of sort of about Mike Morris, not necessarily about Yabi, and they turned out to be linchpins on an outstanding defense. You're also going to add Nebraska transfer Ernest Hossman at linebacker, who next to Junior Colson ought to be a really great duo. This time, Junior's going to know what conference the team he's playing is playing in, I think. I think we learned that lesson like I learned mine. You can't can be out here telling everybody you don't know where Texas Christian plays. That's how you get beat, right? You have to have respect for your opponent, and I think that's going to get beat into them in this spring practice. You also are adding Josiah Stewart. Uh, who was a dominant defensive lineman in 2021 for Coastal Carolina. I believe he had 12 and a half sacks, three and a half last year, but another transfer that I think you can do great work with and can be great for you, as we've seen with Michigan. I mean, they took Dalen Baldwin from Jackson State at wide receiver, and that dude was on a playoff team after being on a really great Jackson State team. You've seen what happened with Yabi coming out of Tennessee Martin, right, by way of, I believe, Alabama, but I'm sure somebody's going to tell me if I didn't get that right. And he since transferred to Charlotte. You also missed out on the Nick Harbor sweepstakes, which I got to say hurt a little bit for all of us because he's at South Carolina. Uh, but I thought that would have been an outstanding get for you and a guy that can immediately make you great at edge. You also missed out on Ole Miss cornerback and transfer Davison Igbos, uh, Igbenoson, Igbenison, right? Uh, who's going to be playing in secondary for Jim Knowles, we think. Uh, and, I, you know, like you got a group of wide receivers that I trust, but really this is about Will Johnson on the back end and nothing else, right? Like I, I, I trust that dude to take away your number one wide receiver. I can't say that about everybody else playing in your secondary. But again, it didn't matter last year. And you know this, and I'm just going to say it. Your schedule was weak, right, in the non-conference. But, you know, the SEC schedule is weak in the non-conference. Like for the most part, you play one team. And then you go on about your business and you play to win your conference championship. That's how many teams are beginning to build their schedules. And that's how they'll continue to build their schedules when we expand to 12-team playoffs. So what Michigan is doing will become, I believe, what everybody does. So it's not worth dunking on them for that. You also, I think, just casually here, don't have any season depth behind J.J. McCarthy on the other side. I'm curious to see how they play that in the spring because when I at first posited a question of this version uh, to producer Tyler when we're putting together a rundown. I had said, can Michigan offense just get through this thing uninjured and unscathed? And he was like, I see what you mean there, but you got to be a little bit more specific. And I get his point there because that's everybody's first option. Everybody wants to get through spring practice uninjured, right? And with the entire roster intact, not a lot do, but knowing that you got every last one of those tailbacks coming back, including Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards, right? Knowing what you have at wide receiver and knowing the kind of work that Sharon Moore's been able to do as an offensive line coach and now as the offensive coordinator, I'm really interested to see what they look like, whether teams can actually build against them or whether or not they're just going to bound on anybody again because you don't have that depth behind JJ, so perhaps you don't want to let JJ be out there doing JJ stuff as often as you might have in 2021 or 2022 because uh, he started in 2022. But you get my drift here. Like, K. McNamara is a power five quarterback at Iowa. We'll talk about that a little bit. Right? Alan Bowman is probably the starter at Oklahoma State. Those were the two guys that were backing him up. I'm not sure that you will feel comfortable about Alex Origi jumping into the fray. Right? These are all things for you to think about. And I believe that they're really going to play out because the one thing is true is we all expect there to be depth and there's not any. Right? Or we think that it's going to be fine. And with a guy like J.J. who moves around as much as he does – 
like most quarterbacks that are playing for championships, you need somebody that can come off the bench and help you, right? Ask Notre Dame about that and Drew Pine pulling nine and four out of their behinds when Tyler Buckner goes down, right? What happens at USC if Caleb Williams' hammy is no go, right? Are you going to Miller Moss, right? We'll talk about that in a little bit. But those are my questions for them. I don't think we're going to learn anything, like really, about the defense in the spring. I don't think we're going to learn much about anybody's scheme and anybody's personnel, except to say, oh, those guys got reps and those guys didn't, and we'll count those and we'll take that into the summer. But this is one of those questions that I was saying we just won't know the answer to until we get to January. Whether or not Michigan is there, we'll answer that question. And then it's such a small sample size, right? Because I need to reinforce this. They've been to the playoff in back-to-back years, but it's also their first time getting to the playoff ever. And it was their first Big Ten championship in nearly 20 years in 2021. It ain't, are you good? You are good. You are elite. You set the bar. Now, the challenge for you is to jump over the bar you've set for yourself in back-to-back years. So, can you really just kick through the Oklahoma ceiling and win a playoff game and get into a national title game? That Texas Christian got there before you and over your dead body is something I would not, you know, overlook and I would take to heart, right? You'll come into that game better. You'll come into that game uh, a little bit more enthusiastic and you won't be there like you've been there before. You'll be there like you have something to prove. I think that's important. So let's go to your arch nemesis down south, right, in Columbus in Ohio State. And the question before us here is, can Devin Brown push Kyle McCord to be QB1 at Ohio State? I have my reservations about that, and that has nothing to do with Devin Brown's skill. It has everything to do with Kyle McCord's experience, and that is where I'm going to land that. They felt so good about Kyle McCord as a redshirt freshman that they had him start against Akron just to save C.J. Stroud for a little bit later in the year after you took a pounding against Minnesota. I don't care that it is Akron. I care that they trusted him enough to put the keys in his hands and go out there and do what he knows how to do. And I, I watched that game, right? They didn't ask him to do a lot. They actually didn't show a whole lot because they didn't need to because their talent was so overwhelming. But it's one thing to say a guy can. It's another thing to see a guy do. Now, you'll know, right? I love racing. I love race car drivers. There's some guys that can late brake. And there's some guys that can drive a fast car. And there's some guys that get into a fast car and can't drive it. Kyle McCord has proven over and over again he can get into that fast car and he can drive it. Devin Brown hasn't had that opportunity. And I think that's what's going to hold him back. Like, not to put too much uh, into it, but he hasn't attempted a pass in college. Kyle McCord has attempted several and started a game. Now, another part about this that's interesting is Brian Hartline is the offense coordinator for the first time at Ohio State, right? Which doesn't mean a whole lot in as far as the quarterback because Ryan Day is still the guy who is the architect of that offense and Corey Dennis is still a quarterback's coach. But I wonder how much that is going to play into the spring, right? If we see Hartline with a play card, and I don't know why we wouldn't, where is he going to be holding that play card? We put a lot of stock into whether a guy's in a box or whether a guy's on the field, right? Do you feel it better if you're on the field? Do you see it better if you're in the box? These are all things that we're going to get to learn just by watching spring game. It also is going to tell us a lot about what Ryan Day believes of his play calling duties. Because when I asked about this after uh, Herb Street went out and said, yeah, Ryan Day might be giving up the play calling privileges to Brian Hartline. The first thing I heard was everybody wants Ryan to keep those play calling duties. But Ryan apparently is serious about it in that he wants to be a head coach, which, man, I got I to gotta clap for that. 
because the guy that is willing to give up the play card to really assume the head coaching duties is giving up something he really loves doing. And frankly, one of the reasons that he became an offense coordinator play caller in the first place, they like having the card. And sometimes when they hand the card over, it doesn't go as well. See Gus Malzahn, who needs the play card. Like the offense that he runs just didn't work when he put it in somebody else's hands the way it works when it's in his hands. But I would be shocked if that's not a conversation that is ongoing between he and Hartline. And frankly, who wouldn't want to call a game like Ryan Day? It's just as you get later into the season, being the head coach is much more important than being the play caller. So if you can get the same amount of creativity and right selection out of a Brian Hartline, so you can free Ryan Day up to do the head coaching stuff. I don't just mean timeouts and clock management. I mean interviews. I mean talking about Ohio State Michigan. I mean talking about the Big Ten Championship if you get there. I mean all of the things that go into bowl prep. That makes you that much better because you can only spread him so thin before something gives. And apparently he's looking at it all, right? And if he's looking at play Carlin, he's very serious. And I think you're lucky at Ohio State to have a guy who's even willing to have that conversation because there are a lot of guys that simply just are not. I also think, and I put this, uh, I've nailed this, and I will continue to nail this. Powell McCord is going into a half decade of playing football with Marvin Harrison Jr. Marvin Harrison Jr. was a Bolitnikoff Award finalist. And the guy most people, like myself, believe is the best wide receiver in football heading into the 2023 season. I don't think they want to break up the tandem. And I'm going to hammer this point, too, throughout the offseason. The more you see modern football, the more you see a quarterback and wide receiver who have been playing football together go together. So Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase at Cincinnati, Tua Tonga-Valoa and Jalen Waddell at Miami, Jalen Hurts and Devontae Smith at Philadelphia, right? I can keep going down the list here. Like, I am really of a mind that if you can get them out of high school, to play together in college, you have done what everybody said they wanted to do in the first place. And apparently we got rid of that when they decided to go from college football to the NFL. And then Cincinnati just decided we're going to look this straight in the mouth. And we're just going to say, we're going to go get the best guy to go with his best guy and see what we got. And what they got was an appearance in the Super Bowl. I don't think you want to throw that away. So Devin Brown is also working from a deficit because you would have to demonstrate that your downside is just as high or just as low, if you want to put it that way, as Kyle McCord's. And that's really difficult to demonstrate without a body of work, right? It's one of the reasons why you look at your resume and somebody says you got five years experience and then you go look at your resume and says two and you're disqualified from the job. It's not because you're not talented enough. It's because that's not the right spot for you and they want somebody with a little bit more seasoning. And at Ohio State, that's always going to be true. It's very rare that we have a straight up quarterback derby. It's even more rare that we're talking about a guy like Kyle McCord losing that derby. So all things to keep in the back of your brain as we talk about Ohio State going into the spring, into the summer, into preseason, and finally in their trip to South Bend, where I'm really interested to see what Gerard Parker can do with, you know, the ACC's all-time leader in touchdowns. I'd like to see it. All right, let's go from Ohio State and its big brand and its rabbit fan base to another big brand and another rabbit fan base, Nebraska. See what I did there? Now. I like Nebraska. I've always liked Nebraska, but that's growing up in Oklahoma. That's being an Oklahoma fan. That's knowing what Nebraska looked like when, as Amon Green once told me, they were running through your face, all right? With Matt Rule, the vibe I get is the 
one that I got when Brent Venables was hired at Oklahoma in 2021. Everybody's on the program. Everybody wants that to work. Everybody likes to hire. As a matter of fact, I'm going to quote Mitch Sherman, who covers Nebraska for The Athletic, when he wrote, Rule has yet to coach a single practice, but he and his staff have gained more ground and won more hearts in the Huskers' home territory than any staff at Nebraska since Tom Osborne retired in 1997. More than 25 years has passed since uh, Dr. Osborne just decided to up and get out of Nebraska, right? But it also demonstrates what kind of a guy Rule is and the kind of guy that he was at Baylor because he took over a terrible situation at Baylor and not only flipped it around, flipped it into the kind of team that plays in New Year's Six Bowls in four league championships in short order, right? Had his stint at Carolina, didn't go well, took this job at Nebraska, but he's doing all the things that he would do at a Baylor, at a Temple. He's added 40 scholarship players, but the thing to say about that is that he's taking those scholarship players to girls' high school basketball games in Nebraska. He doesn't have to do that. He doesn't have to show himself at those games, and yet he does. And he takes as many photos with as many people as will find him. And it is filling them with joy. They are over the moon. They are on his team. He is winning hearts and minds by doing exactly what we tell all the politicians to do. Go door to door, knock on the doors, kiss the baby, shake the hands, eat the bad sponge cake, and go on to the next, right? He's also taken a really great approach to Nebraska's high school football. Perspective here. Nebraska signed six of the top 10 recruits in the 2023 cycle this year. For perspective, not one of the top four recruits from the state in 2022 did. So you're you're winning battles that you would have lost. And I love this quote. Again, uh, Mitch Sherman in the, in the Athletic. I can't let Danny Woodhead get away. Those are those of us that are of a certain age and know exactly what he's talking about. For those of you that do not, Danny Woodhead was a guy who played outstanding football in Nebraska. Decent to good is what most people thought. But good enough to get an offer from Nebraska, or so you would think from Frank Solich or Billy, Bill Callahan or somewhere in the middle of that. But he did not. So where does he end up but Division II Shadron State, where he becomes one of the best tailbacks that anybody has ever seen not playing on national television. And then he goes into the NFL and makes Nebraska look even worse by having a 10-year career where he's playing among others, with Tom Brady and them and the New England Patriots and being exactly that guy that you expected him to be at, say, a place like Nebraska, where you could just build the offense around him and what he does well. If you are keeping a lid on the state of Nebraska, yeah, you're going to get the next Danny Woodhead. And I think they might have one, right? I've talked about Malachi Coleman and what I think of what he's able to do or could do at a place like Nebraska. It might not pop, but if he does, it'll be in a Huskers uniform. That's nothing to sneeze at. Last thing to say about Nebraska is Matt Rule knows what the fix is or what he has to fix, I should say. And it's not just the attitude and tenor of the program around the state. It's their offensive and defensive line play. They ranked 85th in rush attempts per game last year and 119th in rush yards allowed. Look, football, as much as we talk about, is a simple sport. And if you can't stop the run, you're going to lose a lot of football games. I don't care how close they are. Now, when I said, will it be as good as Brent Venables? Will they have similar results at Nebraska? I think they'll take six and six at Nebraska, six and seven, if you will. But like six and six, get into a bowl game. I think they would be over the moon 
to have the first season that Brent Venables had. It's just standard has been a little bit different in Oklahoma because Oklahoma hasn't fallen off for 25 years. We're talking about 25 years before someone not named Tom Osborne had made Nebraska fans feel good about being Nebraska fans. That's your first one, right? Now that you have the sort of momentum that Brent Venables had, I'm really interested to see what you can do with it. And you're going to be on a marquee game to start with, right? They got Colorado on their schedule in 2023. I'm really interested to see what those two personalities are going to do, Matt Rule and Coach Prime. And for what it's worth, Coach Prime, uh, Matt Rule, Brent Venables, all very complimentary of each other. Even Brent Venables going out of his way to say, I do it differently, but I like the way he does it because the message is the same, right? The standard is the standard. You're going to do this in a manner befitting the university that you represent. When you have that sort of understanding, knowing that those guys go at it from a different philosophy, you're going to see some outstanding football. You just are. So I'm excited for that. Excited for Nebraska. I want you to figure it out. I want Matt Rule to do well. I also, getting back to a ceiling, would like to see some breakthrough here. So let's go to Penn State. Talk about their ceiling. Talk about what's next for them. So the question that, I have here is, is Penn State's quarterback, Drew Alar, the player we think he is? Man, if he is, good luck. Now, he'll be their first starter since 2019, not named Sean Clifford, which is saying a lot because Sean Clifford felt like a guy who wouldn't graduate. And yet, and still, he was that guy, right? Now, going into the Big Ten Championship game in 2021 when Iowa and Michigan were playing, I did this live tailgate with uh, Producer Cat, among others, where I sat between Braylon Edwards and Devin Gardner, and we were chopping it up. But in the ride over, Devin Gardner's quarterback in Michigan. He wanted to talk about quarterback play with me. And he had asked me, yo, dog, uh, what do you think about Drew Alar? And I was like, I'm not sure, dog. Like, he's Thule, he's big. He's like, what if I told you he was the best quarterback I saw at Elite 11? That was two years ago. And for him to say that, remember, that 2022 Elite 11 class includes Cade Klubnik, Devin Brown, Quinn Ewers, Connor Whiteman, Walker Howard, Nick Evers, and Ty Simpson. That's guys slated to start or competing to start in 2023 at Clemson, Ohio State, Texas, Texas A&M, Ole Miss, Wisconsin, and Alabama. That's not too shabby. And you've seen what it looks like when he has the ball in his hands. The ball is absolutely flying out of his arm, and he is a capable runner. So Penn State was able to get to a Rose Bowl and win a Rose Bowl with a quarterback in Sean Clifford who completed just 64% of his passes for 2,800-plus yards and 24 TDs in 2022. I think that's the floor for Drew Aller. I really do. I think if he is a guy that can hit that, they are not just an 11-win team. They have an opportunity to break through that ceiling. Can you beat Michigan? Can you beat Ohio State? Can you get to the Big Ten Championship game? I think he gives them that opportunity. And he's got two great tailbacks in Nick Singleton and Katron Allen who will protect him. In the summer, they get Dante Cephas, who helped put Sean Lewis on the map. Sean Lewis, now the offensive coordinator at Colorado, was the head coach at Kent State. Cephas had 82 catches for 1,240 yards in 2021, and in overtime in last year, 2022, against Ohio, he accounted for 13 passes caught, 246 yards receiving. I believe that was the second-best tally all year by any wide receiver. Now, some Mitch Tinsley vibes to this, but you get my point here, right? If you got those kind of guys on the outside that can catch the ball, you got those kind of guys in the backfield that can run the ball, 
you're not going to be asked to do very much. And the way that I tend to put this is he has a car that he can win with. All right. What I want to know is when Drew Aller gets in the car, are we going to be some Max Verstappen clapping? Because that's what it's about, right? In this particular analogy, Mercedes is Ohio State, is Michigan. Red Bull is Penn State. I think you got the driver for your car. I think you can go chase down a 2021 championship. And if you can do that, you can race down a 22 championship. I'm talking about F1, not college football. In 2023, you're looking at perhaps what Red Bull was able to accomplish in 2021. You watch Drive to Survive. You know it's coming out on Friday. You're going to allow me some F1 talk because you know I love this stuff. All right. Some more, more stuff that I love. Iowa football, man. I, I, I love me some Iowa football. I, got, I, I get fired up about a rock fight. Like, my producer Tyler and I have it out about this all the time because I watched South Dakota State and Iowa, and I was riveted. I was riveted because defense, baby, defense, baby, defense, baby. Now, I don't want to play in that game because I'm a quarterback. I want to throw the rock. I want to throw the rock 500 yards. I'm looking at B.J. Simmons going, why can't I do that at Texas Tech, right? On the flip side, if I got to watch it, yeah, I'll, I'll watch y'all pick up rocks and bash these brother in the skulls with it because that's what the Iowa defense does. For two consecutive years, Iowa has had one of the two best defenses in football, to my mind. One is at Georgia, back-to-back national championships, and the other one's over there. I mean, what Jack Campbell did last year, people just don't realize. What Cooper DeGene was about, what Riley Moss was about, what Seth Benson was about. And then, I was probably way too early on this, so we're going to hit it again this year. Aaron Graves is a unit. I'm going to have so much fun watching that dude play in Phil Parker's defense, who, by the way, is, I think, just at Iowa by his good graces now. And, I mean, I, think, I don't even think that dude's making more than 650 grand a year to be a defense coordinator. I, I tend to think that he's a little bit more valuable than that, but I'm not trying to, you know, drive up the price on him as much as I'm just saying he slept on. So what do you need at Iowa? To go with your outstanding all-world defense. You need an offense with a pulse, which gets me back to the rock fight, right? So Cade McNamara announced that he were transferring to Iowa with great fanfare. And you know what you're getting in a guy like Cade McNamara. You're getting a guy that's going to complete the ball. He's not going to throw the ball away. He's going to keep the uh, sticks moving. He's not going to wow you with overpowering the ball down the field or, you know, uh, going deep all the time. He's going to get you in and out of good plays. That's exactly the kind of football that Iowa wants to play. Now, he was the ceiling for Michigan, I think, right? J.J. McCarthy gives them a vertical threat and a running threat they just lacked with McNamara. But with McNamara, you have a capable leader, a hard-nosed guy, and a dude that really wants to win football games more than he wants to do anything else. Matter of fact, K. McNamara goes on a podcast and says out loud, please keep calling it the worst offense in college football. And I'm like, you're saying that like it's not a fact. It's it, it's it's a fact, Kate. It's a fact. Hey, we're not. That's not an opinion. Nobody's yelling that Iowa's offense is the worst in football because it wasn't. It's because it, I mean, let me. I mean, I stopped talking there because I'm getting loud, and sometimes when I get loud, the message gets lost. So I'm gonna back down just a little bit. Iowa finished 130th in the nation in total yards per game last year. There are 131 teams in college football. One of them is New Mexico State. You, you, you get my point here? 251 yards of total offense game ain't going to get it done, son. It's not, that's, that's not going to help you. 
mm-mm, mm-mm. And they managed to win seven games without an offense, basically, man. Like, I understand they were able to run the ball some, right? Caleb Johnson being what he is and whatnot. But I, I'm at an Ohio State game with producer Tyler. We watched Alex Padilla and Spencer Peters throw back-to-back interceptions. Like, nobody wanted to play quarterback. You know what I mean? I know they wanted to play quarterback, but you get what I'm saying here, right? You, you need to be able to believe in that. And you had guys like Charlie Jones on that offense that you didn't do anything with. This is the reason why we had a bit on this show where we needed to talk about Brian Ferentz maybe kind of sort of getting a raise, but not really, because that's what it's become at Iowa. As I said before, as the season goes on, Iowa fans tweeted me your animosity. I hear you. I see you. I know this is your team and there's nothing you can do about it. But Cade McNamara gives me hope for you. If you get a pulse and you get to be a, a team that can put up 400 yards of offense a game, there's no reason to believe you're not playing another Big Ten championship game with an opportunity to win it this uh, that year because you're just that good defensively. And if you can score non-offensive touchdowns the way that uh, Iowa defense can, you have an opportunity to play for championships. So from there, I want to go from the worst offense literally in the Big Ten this century to an offense I think could really surprise the hell out of some people at Wisconsin. Like, I'm fired up to see what they got going on in Madison in 2023 because Luke Fickle has decided he has come for your neck out the gate, man. Now, we knew what Luke Fickle was about at Ohio State. We knew what Luke Fickle was about at Cincinnati. But now he's got all of the resources of an Ohio State, of a Michigan, of a Penn State to go hunting. And that's exactly what he has done. So the question that I have for you is, with Luke Fickle, Phil, uh, Phil Longo, Tanner Mordecai, and Braylon Allen, my God, right? Is Wisconsin close to operating at its 2019 level? And I would say, out the gate, yes. I also think it is very interesting what we might see coming out of Wisconsin in as far as offensive production in 2023. It's, I think it's going to be like unlike anything you've ever seen in a Wisconsin Badgers uniform. I'm, I'm excited about it because Longo, Mordecai, and Allen can perhaps marry air raid concepts and passing attack with the traditional dominance on the ground of a Wisconsin run game and a back like Braylon Allen to look a lot like not 2019 Wisconsin, but 2019 Oklahoma, all right? You remember 2019 Oklahoma? I remember 2019 Oklahoma or 2018 Oklahoma or 2017 Oklahoma. Matter of fact, make it 2017 Oklahoma, right? Because the quarterbacks look similar. Tanner Mordecai, mostly brought in to be another version of Baker Mayfield at Oklahoma. Spencer Rattler wins the job. Tanner Mordecai eventually transfers to Southern Methodist. But while he was on that team in 2017, or excuse me, 2019, but if we take it back to 2017, you're talking about teams that routinely put up 300 yards rushing and 300 yards passing, period. Didn't matter who they were playing. It was a matter of can the defense just keep everybody else in check because the offense is going to put up 45 a game. What if you had that at Wisconsin? That's what I'm saying. You you're, you're nearly there just with the staff that you have and the personnel you're going to have on the field. I also think it's important to say that unlike 2017 Oklahoma or basically 2017 Oklahoma through 2021 Oklahoma, you've got a defensive coordinator at heart running the game. And I think that matters, right? Because Lincoln Riley's predecessor, fellow by the name Bob Stoops, you know, college football Hall of Famer, won a national championship in 2000. He's a defensive mind who had a really great eye for clock management and really was having his eyes on the defense most of the time while also letting his offensive coordinators operate. I don't care what you run as long as you run it well and we score a bunch, okay? 
I think you're going to have that in a Luke Fickle. I also think that you're going to see some formations a lot out of Longo's offense. You're going to see a lot of one tight end, one back formations, and that's probably going to first, uh, you know, feel odd to you because you're used to two tight end sets and grounding out the ball with a, you know, a guy that wants to carry the rock 40 times in a game. But he ran that 33 times per game at UNC, and then you talk about 70 plays. That's a lot, right? But the other thing to say about Phil Longo here is I love telling the story. Mac Brown is coming out of being a television analyst, and he's going to be the head coach at UNC. And at the time, Lincoln Riley, best offensive mind in football. Still top two offensive mind in football. The other, I think, is Ryan Day, but you get my drift here. He asked Lincoln Riley, Mac, who would you go get to be your offense coordinator? And Mac was pointed to Phil Longo. So he went to go get Phil Longo. And Phil Longo has produced a quarterback that is now going to be under the tutelage of one Eric Bieniemy. Goodness. Washington, you, you, you're just lucking into good fortune by somebody else's misfortune, but that's, that's for an NFL podcast. Phil Longo also went from Sam Howell to Drake May. Now, I'm still trying to figure out Drake May because I see the tools. Okay? See the tools? I also saw him play against NC State. I'm trying to figure that part out. Okay? I'm not all in on Drake May. I watched the Holiday Bowl. Still not all in on Drake May. I get that some of y'all are, but I thought that a guy that was flipping from Alabama to UNC, I don't care where his daddy went to school, is a big deal in the 21st century. That means, one, you can play, and two, Phil Longo can recruit. So now he's got Tanner Mordecai and Nick Evers on his depth chart. Wisconsin fans, as an Oklahoma fan, you're welcome. You're welcome raiding my cupboard like that. Come on now. Now, Tanner Mordecai, I think, is tailor-made to run this offense. He knows what it's supposed to look like. He knows how it can operate. He's got the arm to do it. But I'm going to put it to you in some numbers. He threw for 3,524 yards, 33 TDs, 400, uh, out of 443 pass attempts. He completed like 288 of those at Southern Methodist. Slow down, RJ. You're talking too fast. If he duplicated those numbers, like down to the last digit, he would have broken records at Wisconsin for single season in completions, pass attempts, pass yards. You know, just by doing what he did at SMU. You also can add this into it. Um, the single season TD passing record at Wisconsin is 39. Oh, excuse me, it's, it's 33. It's 33, my bad. It's 33 because Tanner Mordecai would have tied that too. <laughs> now, he threw 39 TD passes in 2021, which means that he would have broken Russell Wilson's record in 2011 of 33. I set that up. I fumbled it at the end, but you get my point. The point there being, it's a lot of points that I think you're going to see scored. And if you can score a bunch of points and you can play defense, you have an opportunity to beat the upper echelon teams in your conference, which is what Wisconsin wants to do, right? It's, it's a team we're still waiting to basically get to where Penn State is now, right? Can you compete and win a championship? Can you get past, you know, these Ohio State, these Michigans of the world and try to give yourself an opportunity to play for a playoff, right? I also think on the other side of the ball, you're going to see some more stuff that's just going to get on your nerves. Mike Trussell's being brought in to be defensive coordinator, but he runs a defense that you you just you're you're gonna have to take some time with. It's a three three five stack, okay? All right, Texas Christian runs three three five stack. You can win a lot of football games with it. TCU did. 
You see how it can work when it works well. You're used to three, four heavy personnel, sometimes even a two, four, five, but you know, your outside linebackers are basically defensive ends. We can talk about schematics and all of that. And we can talk about personnel, how they deploy it. But what you should know is it's built to stuff run and to give you some advantages on the outside that allow for you to take over inside. So you're going to see lots of stunts. You're going to see lots of guys trying to split defenders. It's, it's going to operate and look a lot like single, uh, single gap scheme, which means you're trying to split offensive linemen rather than just plug the holes, but you're just not going to like looking at it. And I think once you get past that and it gives you the results that you like married with that offense, you're putting up a bunch of points, you win a bunch of games, you become a nine, 10 win team out the box. You're going to be okay with this. It's going to be fine. And he's going to have a six year linebacker in CJ goats to help him get all of this message out in front. Right. I think that is very important. Once you get the personnel to buy into why the stat can work for them. And then it's frankly just a lot more fun than most other defenses. I mean, you're going to be blitzing all the time. Like it's it's kind of fun because it's not really a blitz. You're just bringing four. It just feels like a blitz. Anyway, point there is they're going to be play, playing with eyes of the quarterback and they're going to try to get some cheap interceptions. And that's a great way to try to play in the Big Ten where if you can stop the run, you can win a lot of football games. Again, see Iowa. So those are my questions for the Big Ten going into the spring. I'm sure you have questions. Uh, please send them to us at the number one show at Instagram, on Twitter, on the Facebooks. We enjoy your engagement. All right. Now let's go to my next and final segment of this here particular show. Talk about the top five quarterbacks that are true freshmen. But I'm not going to rank them. See, I teased that, but I'm not going to rank them. I'm going to rank them in terms of not their ability, but how likely they are to play in 2023 because I put this out on the Twitters. Please respond to it. I don't care that it's after the show has aired. I still would like to hear what you have to say here and why. But which one of these five quarterbacks that are all elite have an opportunity to make their first start in 2023 and which one is most likely? So we're going to go from five to one, starting with the guy that I believe is least likely to make a start in 2023 to the guy I think is most likely to make a start in 2023. That is a true freshman quarterback. Got all that. All right. So at number five, let's go to USC. Go ahead. Talk about Malachi Nelson. Talk about a guy that was Gatorade player of the year in the state of California. And frankly, uh, a guy that Lincoln Riley had been recruiting for the better part of three years. Like he was going to Oklahoma until Riley took that job at SC and he did what most recruits do. He follows the coach that was recruiting him, not the school that the coach was coaching at, right? I don't think that makes him any different than most others. I always kind of feel kind of weird when adults catch feelings about why a 17-year-old child decided to play for a person he knows rather than the non-personification of an actual building. Doesn't really matter to me. They're going to take your money anyway. You're going to spend four or five years there. Sometimes you'll like it, sometimes you won't, and it's going to get you to the next thing. That said, I think really we're talking about Miller Moss and what he has to say about USC because the reason I think Malachi Nelson is fifth on this list is, one, Caleb Williams is the reigning Heisman winner. Duh. You're going to play him as much as you possibly can, especially in a draft-eligible year where, quiet as it's kept, there's no reason for Lincoln Riley not to wear him out. He won't, but I'm just saying, right? You, you got to let him go after this year. You know that. We know that. Just play the game the way the game is supposed to be played. Then... Miller Moss, who came in the 2021 cycle, stayed after Jackson Dart had gone, stayed after Caleb Williams had transferred in, stayed, and is back up at SC, seems to really like being back up at SC. 
It's about can he beat out Malachi Nelson for that job? I think years in the system is going to have something to say about that, but Lincoln Riley has always gone with the most talented quarterback on the depth chart and said, I'll just build the offense around what he can do or what he knows. I think that's going to be the same here. So Miller might be Joey Hazel, which is not a bad thing. I'll talk about that in a little bit. But I think Malachi Nelson is going to sit this year and then he'll get an opportunity to play. Unless Caleb gets injured, which is always on the table for anybody, but for a guy who makes his living scrambling around and making other people look silly, a bad hammy can take him out because it has. So who do you go with? Probably Miller. But if Miller throws two picks and, you know, two series, Malachi Nelson, you're up. And maybe you can Wally Pip a job, right? I know that I'm pushing a narrative there, but this is really just me laying out all the possibilities for you as to why I think it's number five. So number four on the list for me is Oklahoma quarterback Jackson Arnold, national Gatorade player of the year, Jackson Arnold, right? Now, this is a guy that... Oklahoma wasn't always sure they were going to get, especially as some other programs came on strong, notably uh, producer Tyler's Notre Dame. We were able to fend him off, took some uh, Notre Dame property out of the portal. Very excited about that as well. Anytime I can take something from Notre Dame, I'm going to because, well, I remember 2012. That was supposed to be us in that national championship game. But Manti Teow decided, no, sir, on the same night that James Harden was traded to Houston. Just a horrible night in 2012 for you, mans. Just, 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 just a bad. I was in the press box for that game, too. Just a bad day. But Jackson Arnold's also the first National Gatorade Player of the Year at Oklahoma since Kyler Murray. And you know how that went with Kyler Murray. You know, Heisman, number one overall pick, played in the playoff. Actually played really well. 300-yard passing game and 100-yard rushing, but also looked like he had just been destroyed because he had Quentin Williams was just wrecking that offensive line. But I think of Jackson Arnold. In this way, the comp is Baker Mayfield if he was a can't-miss prospect. Think about that for a second. If everybody knew who Baker Mayfield was going to be when he got to college, that's who Jackson Arnold is. He has that sort of confidence, right? He's not an arrogant, but, you know, you get what I'm saying here. He has that ability to put the ball wherever he wants it to go, and people believe they're going to win because he's their quarterback. That counts for a lot. Now, the problem for him is, Dylan Gabriel is not just the incumbent. He's another one of these guys that has years of playing college football underneath his belt. And you would have to, again, not unlike others, say Devin Brown and Kyle McCord at Ohio State, demonstrate that the floor for you is the same as it would be for Dylan Gabriel. And that's just hard, man. You don't have any body of work in this sport. Now, Brent Venables has been nothing but complimentary. Like, he talks endlessly about that dude's work ethic and how he's always trying to get better. And that's the grind that Venables expects. Like, he's one of these guys that believes football is hard, and doing things the right way is usually doing things the hard way. If that's what it is, yeah, you're going to sit this year. You're going to watch Dylan Gabriel run the offense. You're going to learn everything you can from Jeff Levy. And then 2024, going to the SEC, good luck with that, because I'd be shocked to find out that Alabama, Georgia, Texas, Texas A&M are not on your schedule. And that's if you avoid in Arkansas, because I just or LSU. I just think that the SEC is going to try to stick it to Texas and Oklahoma just to prove a point. Not unlike the Big 12 is sticking it to Oklahoma and Texas to prove a point. Bring it on ourselves, but that's what it is. Number three on the list. Let's go back to Texas. Texas quarterback Arch Manning. All right, you're going to yell at me for this, but I don't care because I'm looking at it from a tool standpoint and not from an attitude standpoint. But what if Joe Burrow went to Texas? I know that many of you do not believe in Arch Manning because he played at Newman. Doesn't matter to you that Eli played at Newman, Peyton played at Newman, Odell Beckham Jr. played at Newman. It matters to you that Arch Manning didn't play the best competition in Louisiana, even though Louisiana puts out more 
NFL players per capita than any other state in this union. Okay. Also, it wasn't that long ago that a guy like, say, uh, Arch Manning ended up at LSU, but that wasn't true of his uncles. Certainly not true of him. He went to the place where he always wanted to play quarterback. By now, you've heard that story. Somehow, that dude decided early on as a child, he wanted to be quarterback in the University of Texas. And Steve Sarkeesian is able to capitalize on that. So if you have Joe Burrow kind of skills where you can move around, you can make things happen, you can hit people when they're open, and everybody believes you're going to win, what's stopping him? Well, frankly, Quinn Ewers. <laughs> Quinn Ewers is still one of the best prospects in the sport since we've had recruiting rankings. And if he grows up in 2023 in the way that we expect him to, Archie's not going to get that job. But if uh, Quinn Ewers got hurt, we're talking about Malik Murphy and Charles Wright. Now, not to shade you Charles Wright truthers, but it ain't going to be him. It ain't, it ain't going to be him. It's going to be some version of Malik Murphy who is still really tooly. Like, I really want something to, to pop for him. It might have to be in a transfer situation, but I've seen that dude throw the football, and I've seen that dude move around, and frankly, I just want to see him play. But Arch Manning is Arch Manning, and you can only have one quarterback at a time. So something would have to happen. Quinn Ewers would have to combust for us to see Arch Manning in 2023, but not unlike Jackson Arnold, he's going to run into 2024. You're starting quarterback. Yikes. Um, You know, everybody's going to be happy to see him. That's the best I could say about Texas. Oh, man, I'm so not looking forward to this move for Oklahoma and Texas, the SEC. It's, it has the potential to just ruin my 40s. And I, I, I've been looking forward to my 40s for some time. You know what I'm saying? Like, this, is, this is winning time. You know, 50 is the new 40. I'm getting there. Like, you know, homeowner, all that stuff. Out the window. Oklahoma and Texas going to the SEC. Okay, number two on this list for me. Another SEC quarterback. See what I did there? Tennessee quarterback, Nico. Iamaleava. 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 Nico, Iamaleava. We're going to do this. We're, we're, we're doing this because I am not backing down from pronouncing somebody's name correctly. I understand that Gus Johnson and I have once, you know, had the same affliction, but we get it because we keep doing it, right? It is not disrespect. It is the utmost respect. I'm going to make myself silly until I say this correctly because you're owed. Your parents are owed, frankly, right? I had DJ Ui Ungalale playing on my phone from Big Dave for the better part of a year. Before that dude got to Clemson, because I'm not going to be the dude that's just saying, uh, you know, DJU. This is the profession. You talk for a living. If you talk for a living, you owe people on name pronunciation. Sometimes they're hard to hunt down. Sometimes they're hard to find. But once you get them, we're going to do things like this. Ia Maleava. Nico Ia Maleava. See? All right? Just got to work at it. Just like everything else. Need reps. Need time. Need to get in the mirror and say it over and over again. Ia Maleava. Iamaleva. See? See, you can tell I've been doing that in the mirror. Nico is six foot six and an outstanding volleyball player, which for me means a lot. But then again, I used to date a volleyball player. Uh, women's volleyball player, to be clear about it. But you get my point here. I would watch more volleyball than was probably necessary for a man who loves college football as much as I do. And I've seen that dude as an outside hitter. It's a thing to behold. But when I see him work as a quarterback, his mobility, his ability to escape pressure, the strikes he can throw, the arm angle he has. What if Vince Young went to Tennessee? Yeah, I said it. Six foot five, 230, runs away from people, can make anything happen with his legs and with his arm, put the offense in his hands and let him cook. 
that is Nico Iamaleva. Okay. Like that's, that's who that guy can be. Now he's up against a guy in Joe Milton, who is also just as physically talented. My God, I love watching Joe Milton play football and he could throw a football like Nico over them mountains. And again, you have to prove that the ceiling for you is as high as Joe Milton and the floor for you is as high as Joe Milton. And I just don't see that happening. Joe Milton didn't choose to return after beating Clemson in the orange bowl because he was going to give up his job to a true freshman, no matter how good that true freshman is. And frankly, Josh Heupel likes having them both. And so does quarterback coach Joey Hazel. Joey Hazel was a guy that we used to make fun of uh, being on the depth chart at Oklahoma. And he's turned into quite the capable coach because that's usually how that thing goes, right? A guy that might not have had it as a quarterback, but was good enough to be a college football quarterback at a division one power ends up being an outstanding quarterbacks coach. You saw what he was able to help do with Hendon Hooker. You see what he can do with a guy like Joe Milton. And frankly, I'm excited because Hazel's already told Nico, don't be timid. Be out here going full blast. If you make mistakes, make them big. But I want you to make them at full speed. I love hearing that from a coach because that means that I am unafraid of trying to help you control this prodigious power. I only want you to use it. And, and that's what people mean when they say be yourself. Like, it's usually bad advice because what they mean is some version of yourself that you don't really like. But, like, for instance, on this show, I'm passionate. I'm emotional. Sometimes it can be unwieldy, but you'd rather have it than I don't. That's what Nico has in talent. So if you let him spread his wings and fly, he's probably going to learn quicker how to navigate them canyons and drop that bomb on that dot in that mountain that Tom Cruise is flying through at a quicker rate than, say, if you just said out there, hey, man, don't turn the ball over. That's not what a quarterback wants to hear because they don't want to turn the ball over. Tell them if you see the go route, don't throw it, dog. Do the, do, do the Jalen Hurts and throw it up to A.J. Brown. My God. A pass he would not have made at Oklahoma. Everybody grows up. Everybody matures. Uh, shout out to you, Gaston. More truthers who somehow think that the transfer from Central Florida is going to compete in this competition. I wish you well. Okay. Number one on the list. UCLA quarterback, Dante Moore, right? I'm very intrigued by Dante Moore. And the reason I am is because on this list, I think he is the guy who has the best opportunity to not just start in 2023, but to start the season opener. I got this from uh, editor Sean Merriman, and we'll walk it out, but like, let me know what you think. Last year, only one true freshman started the season at quarterback. He played at UConn. What if Dante Moore is that guy at UCLA? Now, Colin Schley is transferring in from Kent State. Ethan Garbers is there. Uh, they're going to have a full quarterback room, right? Like, it's going to be standing room only. But everybody understands the talent that Dante has. And to underscore this, the All-America Bowl is a bowl for the best prospects in the country. Blue chips and above. Four stars. And five stars. Those are the guys that get to play in that game. Not only did Dante Moore play in that game, he was 14 of 19 for 156 yards with four TDs in that game. And the reason I put stock into that game is it is the only all-star game that I know about where kids actually want to win. I watched the NBA all-star game. Or I should say I watched the layup line. I'm not, I'm not up for that. You know, like it, I, I need you to make this mean something to me. And nice thing about teenagers is it always means something to them. They're always playing for something. They're playing for a woman in the stands. They're playing for some coaches on the sideline. Or they're playing because this dude says something funky sideways about his mama. Either way, 
They want it. And Dante showed up wanting it. And there's nothing to sneeze at there. Now, I think the comp is kind of hard here, but you'll get my drift on it. Russ Wilson with more wiggle, right? Taller than Russ, certainly. Slender than Russ, certainly. But also can move around, make things happen. He's accurate with the football and does not mind throwing the ball deep downfield. Shout out to Detroit's Martin Luther King Jr. High School, where he came out of. They play, They got King across the chest and everything. I really love those uniforms. He also had underscored when he was putting together his list that Chip Kelly and UCLA were on top of it because his relationship with Chip Kelly was so great. I don't think Chip Kelly is building a relationship with a guy like Dante Moore to that effect if he doesn't think that he can be another Dorian Thompson Robinson for him and start for five years. It won't be five years because that's COVID years coming and going, but four years straight. And what happens if your best quarterback prospect at UCLA since Josh Rosen is Dante Moore? And you're going into the Big Ten in just a year's time. You're set up to win, man. That's awesome. I also think it's important that Cam Newton was also a guy that he was able to pull on for wisdom. And I love that. Cam Newton, who went to Auburn, said, you know what the most important thing for you is? National exposure. Sounds like a guy that played on a broadcast television network most of his 2010 season where he led Auburn to a national championship. Now, I still have to fight people about this, but not only the best college football player I believe there has really ever been, but also an MVP and a guy that played in the Super Bowl. Like people still slept on what Cam Newton has accomplished and who he is. Dante Moore said, cool, you said national explosion. Now, why didn't he go to, say, Oregon? Because, well, Kenny Dillingham went to Arizona State. It was really that simple. I believe him. I take him at his word on that. I, I don't see any reason to fight him. And frankly, I would much rather have a relationship with the head coach than with the coordinator because, you know, guess who gets to make the ultimate call? Yeah, the head coach. And it happens that Chip Kelly is also called in place. All right, that is going to do it for this episode of the number one college football show. My thanks as always to our lead producer, Tyler Wojak, our senior producer, Catherine Donnelly, our director, Kyle Holly. That is Gabe in the booth on the live switch for us. That is Kiara Santana, who is our production assistant. Our social media maven is JBon Duncan. Our leads of screening are Jack Coakley and Torn Westfall. And I'm the host, RJ. We will see y'all same time, same place next week. Deuces.